0: Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Lori Martin, who is the co-founder of Haven's Harvest, um, a really amazing and rapidly growing food rescue operation serving Greater New Haven. So uh, stay tuned. Lori, start by telling me, how did you get the idea for doing this? I mean, I know it's not a brand new idea. It's been going on other places, right? Well, it, it came as a nudge, actually, to my son, my
1: second son. It was his 19th birthday. And as, just as a mom, I thought he should be doing something else for the world. And um, we happened to be in front of Trader Joe's that year. It was nearly eight years ago. And he, you know, hopefully I've raised him with a social conscience. And he said, hey, we know that this store has been throwing food away in dumpsters. Why don't I reach out to them and see what they're doing with their food? And that's how it began. So then we were in touch with Trader Joe's and another organization who had an app that had just recently been released. And we worked with them and Trader Joe's and began recovering the food by the end of that
0: month. That was in September. Of 2015? Yes, exactly. Okay, okay, great. So, when and how did it expand from a family operation?
1: Well, it just kept growing organically, and that's all. Caleb went off to college, and I was still around, and the um, need for more um, pickups were happening from that particular store. And then I was trying to find places for the food. I thought the food was going to go to food pantries and soup kitchens, Um, but I was So naive. Uh, It turns out that the food can't necessarily go to those places because either the type of food or the timing or the amount of food, and it doesn't always fit those models. So, but in the meantime, we were picking up food, you know, really wonderful, delicious, nutritious food, and then we didn't have places for it. So, we reached out initially to the elderly services department in in New Haven and said, Can we connect with some of your sites? Because we have this wonderful food to share. Um, And it just, it just started like that. We had a meeting with the city, and then someone called to say, I just saw, I was at a bakery, you know, it was at closing time, and they were tipping trays of sandwiches and pastries into the trash. And so the city employee called to say, can you pick up that food? You know, I told them that they, there is a way, and that's, you know, it just kept growing like that, just just by word of mouth. And then eventually, we needed an organization that really reflected our values around food sharing. Um Certainly within an anti-racist framework and just noticing and and saying aloud that racism is a part of the systems that keep people, you know, in certain places in our society. And not that we're going to fix this with recovered food, but that also our intention is to get food into the hand of marginalized folks. So environmental environmental justice communities in New Haven is largely black and brown communities. So they're not the only mouths we feed, certainly,
0: but they are the first mouths we want to feed. And I know you've said, or in your written uh, materials, that you are a food recovery organization, not a food bank. So what would you say is the difference between what you do and uh, a food bank or, a, or an organization that directly feeds people? Okay, so we have two, two things that differentiate us. One is that we focus on
1: recovering perishable and prepared foods. So food that takes a hustle, but really often high in nutrition Um, that it takes a hustle to get moved because it needs to be eaten within a really short time. And so that's different than a food bank. And they, when people bank food and the food banks have their role and have for decades, they bank food and they share, you know, the largest food bank in, in a state or an area. And then they share that food with the local pantries. So we do try to share some of our perishable and prepared foods with pantries if we're able, you know, if like, if the timing works and their capacity also works. Um that's one, and the other the, as a food rescue organization we're an environmental organization, so our primary goal is to sort of look out through the landscape and see where is the good food that's still going to waste, and then where are the nearest mouths that we can feed with the food and of course, looking through the lens of environmental justice first, so where are the nearest mouths of folks who really need the food who are experiencing food insecurity and that's different than that we have you know a group of people that we need to feed because that's that's just a, a bit of a a twist on that. My daily job is still, where's the good food still going to waste? And that's really, that's our primary, you know, focus. And then, then the next thing is like, and where are the people to feed them? So we do say everybody with a mouth is a person in need and should eat the food. And we encourage our volunteers, you know, if they're moving food, that they take a sandwich so that their next meal is covered. Somewhat of a trade of energy, you know, like you do this work with your car and your vehicle and your fuel but then your lunch is covered. When we encourage volunteers to do that and also participate in taking the, some of the recovered food, it, number one, it destigmatizes the food. And, and that's really important. Like we do think everybody should eat the food. It, you know, like the president should eat the food and the mayor should eat the food and we all should eat the food and I eat the food and, um, and have sustained my family on recovered food, especially as we struggled with, you know, getting sustainable funding for our organization. It's the only way I've been able to do it. Otherwise, I, I would have to go get it, like, a job. A paying job. Um, but then the other piece is that it offers up the opportunity for people who might have a car and some fuel, but maybe not tons of resources, but it lets them also participate as volunteers so that we, you know, then, and then they also get some of the food. So, because if we only did it with, you know, some organizations have these really strict rules, like you can't take any of the food, that might work for them, but then it also alleviates the opportunity for other people to be involved
0: who might really care and really want to show up and have a heart and have a vehicle, but the money piece will be a real struggle. There's different kinds of organizations or agencies or businesses that donate the food. Just give me a rundown of the kinds of places you pick up food from.
1: Sure. We pick up food from grocery stores and bakeries and farmer's markets, sometimes even other food pantries when they have too much food and they haven't been able to share it, especially their perishable food. Um, We work with all the local universities and we pick up their food. And there are other
0: smaller uh, mom-and-pop stores or other places that we pick up food from. And I know you also pick up food from events, right? We do,
1: yeah, event yeah, those are, you know, events in particular is one of one of the areas when we talk about reducing food waste. I mean, there are other models that we can be mindful of, you know, about ordering less, for instance, at the university level, or cooking to order, so there's less food waste, right, and... But then, you know, for events, it's really important to have enough food for all the invited guests. And in fact, as we know, you know, not all, all the guests arrive or they arrive, but they've eaten in, in advance. But still, the preparation for the events needs to be for the total number. So and in that case, there's always leftover food. And that's like a really a great niche for us to be working in because also event food is really nutritious it's good food, right? People are putting on the rids for the, for folks, for their guests or for whatever it is. And so we really do, you know, we, we especially like that food
0: because then I know we're getting really good food into the community. Right. How many places do you pick food up from and how many do you deliver to? And I know it probably changes like week to week or whatever, but what's the average?
1: Well, yeah, well, we have about 150 food donors and we bring food to about 250 sites. Um, and most of the sites we bring food to turn out not to be the traditional like food sharing or food charity sites because again like food doesn't always match the model in terms of timing and so these are other folks though who have stepped up to say you know this food has value they see the value in the food for their community and they're willing to do the work to get the food shared so we bring food to daycare centers and schools and in those cases, that food is not used to feed the children, so it doesn't go into the community feeding program. It is for staff and families to take as they choose, you know, sort of on their way out the door. Um, also, it goes to senior day centers. goes to subsidized living sites for seniors and families. We go to health clinics and methadone clinics. Um, one of one of the libraries shares out bread every week. So this is where folks say, you know, there's value in this food, and we're willing to step up and manage you know, whatever that food is in order to get it shared. So in those cases, it's not prepared food, it's, it's bread, right? It's something that's a low lift, it's not highly perishable. So, you know, the monitoring doesn't have to be
0: as in-depth as prepared foods. You're listening to Lori Martin, who co-founded Haven's Harvest Food Recovery Organization in New Haven in 2015 with her children, and which now has more than 400 volunteers, including yours truly, picking up and delivering food. For me, at least, as a, as a volunteer, there's a hierarchy of places that I would like to pick up from. I do not like to pick up from donut shops. <laughs> I, I've done it. It's not something I want to do on a regular basis. You know, one time I picked up from one of the colleges at Yale, and I got eight huge trays of real food. That was pretty great. And then another time, I picked up from this prepared Italian kind of high-end prepared food place in North Haven on, on State Street. That was incredible. I'd never been in that place, and I didn't even know what anything was, but it looked amazing. Is that was that a one-off when I went there, or is that do they donate regularly? They donate every day. They're open six days a week, and they donate
1: to us six days a week. And they have for years. Actually, that's La see They're a, really a beautiful example of. I mean, I think of connection and of their generosity. I went in there years ago just, you know, to chat with them, let them know that we could pick up any extra food that they might have. And the manager, Ryan, was really enthusiastic and said, you know, our, our customers ask us about what we do and we haven't had a good answer. And he called me the next day and he said, I've got food for you. And then it, it was every day since then. So they gave us a huge box generally of really wonderfully prepared foods and then another box of bread um, every day. And it feeds our community well. So, can I talk about the donuts for a second? Sure. <laughs> so, the donuts, you know, there are a couple things about the donuts. For one thing, we get really delicious donuts from the place that you pick up. Um, they are, you know, they're, they're definitely lower in sugar and, and higher quality than like mass made because they're made by this shop. But the other thing that I am really mindful of, especially as a white person, is, you know, in our society and a place of privilege that. Donuts still count, and even if they're the mass-made ones, right, people should get treats if they want them. And I don't want to be the gatekeeper. That's not that's not what I go after, right? What I really want is protein and produce. But this food is still being made, and it's going to waste. So there's, there's like, a double piece of that. One is I think what our food does, even when it's bread, um, you know, which, you know, might have some nutrition but, you know, may not, not certainly as much as protein and produce, what we know it does is it buffers a family's budget or an individual's budget. So if you get free bread, then you have an extra couple dollars to spend for the other pieces that you need for your full meal. And and the other is, and I don't think it's a full conversation without saying this, I don't want, you know, these other kinds of foods like in our food system where especially in other countries, it wouldn't even be in, it wouldn't be considered food, right? Some of the additives and things that we use. So it's not that I think that, and not not even that I want all those things and do I want to share them. If they get donated, you know, we take them and we share them, but I still think, and I'm hoping that we, you know, we get a bigger voice, like we don't want those products in our food system at all in the country. And, you know, it's, that's allowed by big corporations, but it certainly harms, especially harms the same communities that are marginalized.
0: Now, when you say we don't want those foods, you were talking about donuts, or do you mean just processed foods?
1: Yeah, processed foods, right. You know, things with dye in them, things with artificial sweeteners and artificial flavors, all of that.
0: And I've always said, you know, if I was starving, I would want a donut as opposed to continue to starve, you know, so.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I hope that people get treats that come from our organization. They, you know, it lifts them up and hopefully it also creates the room again in the budget so they can do something else with their money. Yeah. Right. No, that's
0: definitely true. So here's a question. How do you decide, how do you make the match between the food that's being picked up and where it's going? <laughs> that is a hard
1: one. Um, you know, we have this long list of discernments, I'll say. For for one thing, I mean, at this point, we've, we have enough sites that, you know, we want to be sure that our partners who are already on our list are getting some food. So that's sort of the first thing. It's like, okay, when we look at, I you know, I keep a mental map in my head for the, at least for the New Haven area, and I think about the different neighborhoods, like who hasn't gotten food in a while, like which neighborhood in particular hasn't gotten food, or, you know, which which runs perhaps, you know, just got canceled because there was no donation, and so I'd like that community to still get some food. So when we get short notice runs, that's how we're figuring that out, um, or even short notice runs may come in, like from the universities, which we did yesterday with I don't know, 30 pans of food and bags of bread, really good and delicious food. Then we have to figure out, we'll talk about that one, who are the partners who can accept prepared foods in tin pans? So who has the capacity, you know, cold capacity, and then even sharing capacity to accept and then share the food? So that's that's one of the first ones, who has the capacity? So that is dependent on how large the donation is. Um, and, then, and then again, so once we do that, it's like, okay, who are the partners who accept that? And then who we haven't gotten food to lately or who have we heard from who have said we have an event this weekend, which often happens for faith communities or even some of our other partners, like we're having a workshop if you get any food. Um, and so we do put them in the, the community calendar so that we see if we can make those matches. You know, it's not guaranteed, but we certainly do that. So that that's how we begin that discernment. For the regular and weekly runs, you know, as new partners come on board, Either I try to bolster a, a partner's like regular donation, because what I really like is that our partners get food every week and or every other week, depending perhaps if this thing is, um, the donation is larger, but largely what I want is a regular donation so that people can, I hope it helps put to rest sort of the scarcity mentality. So there is something that, that something will arrive, even if it's on the smaller side, rather than erratic large donations so we do you know we'll give extra donations when they come in short notice to some of our partners but i like the regular donations i feel like it does help people feel more secure about our relationship and our intention to be in partnership with them and then you know just truly on like a, a gut level it's like okay something's going to arrive i'll get something this week
0: so when i was doing um well, it was a small pickup. I, I, I was doing, for example, I was picking up uh, on a Friday at one of the public schools in New Haven, an elementary school. Hamden, and they already had a pickup on Wednesday, so there wasn't that much. So, But there was always milk. And then my delivery site was a senior center, or a senior living center, apartments, I guess, nearby, but they didn't really, no, there were... Earlier on, there were more things. There were some. There was fruit and there was like oh, carrots and some other yeah. stuff. But but it seemed like they what there was the most of, the people, the recipients didn't really want it. There's got to be, you know, I don't know how often or what percentage of the time when you pick up and you think you're getting it out of the waste stream and then you're delivering it somewhere and it ends up getting thrown out anyway. So I don't know. Is, is there a way to track that? I'm not sure if there's a way to track that, but we know that's a pain point. And that's, you know,
1: I mean, at this point, given the size we are and given the, you know, the resources we have, like that's our, just about our only way right this second. We don't have, uh, we only have two people on staff. We have lots of really committed volunteers and some that give us a lot of hours every week. But one of the things that we're working on, and maybe I've said this, but we're working on a food recovery hub. So we wanna create the first food recovery hub in Connecticut and we wanna do it here in New Haven and preferably Fairhaven if we can. Um, And to really address that, because the the run you know that particular bagel place sometimes there's there are no bagels at all and sometimes there might be one bag but then sometimes there are seven and last week i picked up and there were 12. and so it's like what you know it's hard to make that match when we're doing it on the fly because i think what i didn't say earlier is that we do the direct delivery which is what you you're talking about so we make these connections and an amazing volunteer will show up and try to move the food or not try but move the food but sometimes the donation you know isn't really matching the site size and we can't control for all of those because we're doing it on the fly. And we have a tiny space in a, in a rented warehouse, you know, a 12 by 12 foot space. And we have swing space in an, a small walk-in cooler that we share with another organization. So we really do need a site with ample cold storage and other storage. And a commercial kitchen so that we we need to do two things there we need to aggregate the food so in particular omo bagels would be one we would bring the bagels in and can repack them into smaller sizes then we can share them actually easier and with with greater ease and probably with a greater reception um in in lots of places in the community you know if we package them in bags of four or six right we can share them more readily so those that that is one of the pain points of like well we're doing the best we can You know, sometimes we're able to have um, volunteers have have, I would call like an extra place in their pocket, like another place sort of nearby. Who else might take some of those? And sometimes we get calls that way, and then we can quickly call another site to say, "Hey, there's some extra bagels. You know, can you take them?"
0: Well, that happened to me once. I was delivering to from I can't remember where the pickup place was, but I was delivering to a school in New Haven, an, an elementary school, and. I said, I had all this different items and they said, well, we want this and that, but we don't want the other thing. And I said, I didn't want it. <laughs> so he didn't want it. And, um, and then I called you guys, I don't know, I think it was you or it might've been Larise and you immediately found me another place. Yeah, and yeah. so I was able to take it over to, uh, um, Harrison Tucker school and they were nice. happy to have it. Yeah. So it's really, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. I'm speaking with Lori Martin, who's the co-founder of Haven's Harvest, a food recovery operation that serves mostly New Haven and some of the outlying suburbs. And um, we're talking about how food recovery is so important in so many ways, uh, in terms of food justice, in terms of climate justice, in terms of racial justice. So uh, please stay tuned for the rest of the conversation. So how do you determine When you talk about food recovery or how much you've recovered, um, and it's in your written materials, but if you have it on the top of your head, you can tell me, like in any given year, you know, recent year, how much you recovered.
1: Sure. Well, For each of the last three years, we've recovered 1.5 million pounds of food. And at least that's what we've brought in and redistributed. You know, like you said, there likely is still some food that gets delivered that still goes to waste. From the very beginning, I've always known that that's a piece of work that I would still like to be doing. Um, I think as we grow, we certainly will address that. So we would like to be working with Domingo from Peels and Wheels, a local composter who, yeah, his business model is to pick up um, compost or food scraps from from, um, individuals and then bring them to a composting site. And, you know, he and I really, we feel strongly, I mean, I should get the food sort of in the beginning of when it's excess. And then when it's, uh, you know, less than that and really ready for compost, that's where the two of us can work together. And he could use those food scraps. And in fact, in the food recovery hub, we do have a plan to be working together. So that then, you know, we're working side by
0: side. So just tell me a little more about the food recovery hub. Is it is there a start date? Does it depend on funding or what?
1: Yeah, it absolutely depends on funding. I mean, we were looking at a building, but I believe now it's another. Um, it's been sold, so we we will look for a building to accommodate that with with a loading dock, um, a site that is easily accessible from the interstate. A site that can provide us like the the things that we need including the cold storage and the dry storage the commercial kitchen is actually another big piece some of it is we can't aggregate the food and then repackage it because we don't have a commercial kitchen which was even an issue during the pandemic for lots of food um, um or food let's see food sharing organizations in the new haven area because some places especially because they were closed during the pandemic Organizations couldn't buy bulk beans and rice and split them because we didn't have commercial kitchens for that. So, I'm um, we do know, you know, we can keep somebody busy full time repackaging or or making meals even with recovered food. Is there anything we didn't talk about that
0: you think is important for for the work that you do?
1: What we've been talking about for, for actually for months now is creating a pathway to food recovery. You know, in across the nation, we waste forty percent of the food we we produce, and you know, in that's really like, that's how we see ourselves as part of this environmental movement is we can address that. And Connecticut in particular is in a waste crisis because we, one of the trash burning plants, you know, was shut down last summer. And as a state begins to address reducing our waste in general, one of the things that's really important is to reduce the food waste because we're currently transporting all the waste from the state down out of state to get burned, which is, that's its own travesty. Um, but you know, one of the things we should first do, of course, is reduce waste, and we can reduce food waste. And there is certainly a lot of edible food that we should be doing something with, um, and then also the food scraps. So, what's important to me is that we do two things. One is reduce the food waste by recovering food and, and making it part of our culture that first we do what we do is donate food. And there's a federal law that got passed in late 2000. Uh, Twenty-two, and then signed by the, the president in early 23. And that's the Food Donation Improvement Act. So it, it broadens the scope of liability protection for folks who are donating food. It also encourages, in particular, um, educational institutions to donate, which has been interesting because that's been an obstacle around um, schools thinking that they should be throwing their food away. But in fact, they're encouraged to donate it. And the other thing it does, it allows food rescue or food food rescue and food banks to sell food at modest cost food that they've recovered in order to help, um, you know, pay for operations. So that's an interesting model. And we would like that sort of a a micro grocery or a social grocery store as part of our hub so that we have a place where people can come and get food, you know, at a modest cost.
0: I know that they've been talking, especially since the, you know, one of the main, the, the largest, uh, garbage-burning site, yeah. and can I have you close down, um, I know there's been more talk about specifically getting the food waste out of the system, especially since it's the heaviest. Right. Um, it also seems like it wouldn't burn that well. Right, <laughs> yeah, or it takes a lot of energy to burn that because it's right. wet. Right, right. So um, there's been more talk about composting, setting up composting facilities yeah. and requiring certain entities to, to compost food waste you don't want it to be composted before if it's usable it gets used by somebody eaten by somebody this would be then this would be the next step
1: sure yeah
0: food recovery
1: i mean when we look at the excess food recovery hierarchy the first line is to feed people first um, so that's what should happen with the good food and then of course you know, make compost feed animals make fuel comes after that but the other part of that is i mean i feel there there are two parts which is if we remove food from a community so last year and as of the other years, you know, we recovered 1.5 million food, we kept about 900,000 pounds of that food in New Haven. And if we weren't doing that, that food would have been exported and burned elsewhere. And that food, so we are keeping our environmental justice communities in double jeopardy, one with food insecurity. And then, you know, we're, we're contributing to the climate changes, which puts those same folks really at a higher risk for climate events and so instead of doing that it's like okay address both right keep the food in the community feed them and then don't contribute to climate change but and i feel the same way about the composting which you know there have been state hearings on it, with food scraps if right, we creating as many local smaller composting sites instead of huge aggregated ones in the state, which we will transport on our highways, you know, and pollute to get the food scrapped out to these big things, like keep it here. We need our soil to be regenerated here in the city. You know, we, we need healthy soil. That's how we have healthy food and healthy people. So, and we need it because it's also, it um, will sequester the carbon right here. So, you know, doing things on a smaller scale on a local scale, you know, is, is the most just way. What's really important about, for creating the pathway to food recovery is providing infrastructure for food recovery. So we are talking to our colleagues across the country about this because, and, and in fact the President's um, Health, Nutrition, and Hunger Conference back in September addressed the same. We have this food that is a resource that we've been wasting. So the infrastructure and sustainable funding to make this happen, and it seems akin to me to what we did about 40 years ago with, with recycling. I remember in New Haven, I was part of that group. Um, They wanted to put a trash burning plant in the city. And, you know, there were lots of folks who said, aside from the environmental impact and health impacts of that, it's like, we first should be diverting some of the, the... what's what's headed into the waste stream, including recyclables. And then out of that came Rainbow Recycling, um, and which I did, you know, contribute to and paid for every month to have my cardboard and glass, I think, picked up. Um, and then, you know, so that was just like a niche market and a small nonprofit started, and then it eventually became a municipal job. So I do think that we will likely move that way. And in fact, in Boston, they just wrote an ordinance, uh, I'm not sure if it's been passed, but to create a food recovery office in Boston. And we're working on legislation here in new haven also to encourage um, food producers to donate their food is
0: that under the sustainability is that under steve winters and steve is part of the group certainly yeah and we've had some support from
1: the harvard food and law uh, policy clinic food law and policy clinic and also connecticut deep they've been part of that and then a number of folks in the community who care about this issue we've been
0: working on it together as a committee great Lori, thanks so much for sharing your really amazing story about setting up this wonderful and and much-needed program. Thank you for having me, Melinda. I'm glad to be here. That was Lori Martin, the co-founder with her children of Haven's Harvest, which is a food recovery program serving Greater New Haven. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here at WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.